Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. As we think about Christmas, there's a few things we need to, uh, probably a few words that come into play in our minds, and I think one of them is probably peace, isn't it, when we think about the season of Christmas. We might also have joy and uh, goodwill and happiness and maybe celebration as well as we get together uh, over Christmas lunch for things like that. But I think peace is right up there as far as a word is used to describe Christmas for us. It's meant to be a season of peace. And if we think about peace, peace is a really wonderful and precious thing, particularly if some have been in conflict and they're now in peace. Now that peace brings light and that peace brings life to us in the tenseness and the anxiety of a conflict area, when peace comes, it is a glorious thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. And peace is precisely what God does for us when we truly understand and comprehend what Christmas is all about. It's about the peace that God brings. But it's peace in a surprising way. And it's primarily a peace of heart and a peace of mind with being reconciled to the Lord and then seeing that worked out amongst ourselves. Actually, God writes about this peace very clearly for us in Isaiah chapter 9, where Abby read so well for us before. It's a really important passage of scripture uh, when it comes to understanding the true meaning of Christmas and the peace that God brings. Let's just pray now as we open our hearts up and think about this uh, passage and chapter and we come into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning. We thank you now that we have this privilege to open up your word. Father, what a gift it is. The Bible, timeless, Lord, beyond all ages, beyond all seasons, speaks into our hearts and lives for all of time. So we just pray now that, Lord, as we begin to look at this little passage here in Isaiah chapter 9, you would open our hearts up to see the glorious peace that you bring to us through your son, Jesus, as we think about him this Christmas. Father, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps to help us out a little bit as we think about, if we're going to read this passage from Isaiah, which Abby read before, we'll be to think about where it came from. This uh, book of Isaiah was written about 2,700 years ago, so it's an old book, a, a, a timeless book, as I said before, though. Might just, oh, just a, can you turn that fan? Yeah, that'd be great, thanks. Sorry about you guys sitting in the front. You have to be a little bit warm, otherwise I'll just keep blowing my pages over. Um, and what we see there 2,700 years ago is a word of prophecy. God reveals to the prophet Isaiah what he's going to do to bring about the restoration of his people and ultimately the peace he will bring to them. And we get to share that peace 2,700 years later. Uh, Israel, uh, sorry, Isaiah, uh, sorry, it's important to actually understand why Isaiah wrote this. And what sort of time he's writing into for the nation of Israel as well, because that helps us to understand why he's saying what he's saying at this particular time. Uh, Isaiah is writing to Israel, who are God's chosen people, a people that God has delivered and rescued to love him, to know him, to experience God's joy and God's blessing as his people as they seek to follow him. God has called the people of Israel into a relationship with their creator the one who gives them their life and their very breath. Uh, This is a beautiful thing and a loving thing that God has done for Israel. They know and experience his peace, his provision, his protection, his love, and ultimately they know and experience God's eternal hope as well 
in God. But that's not where we find Israel, where Isaiah writes this chapter for us in Isaiah chapter 9. Even though they know God's love and provision and protection and peace on all those things and much, much more, Israel at this point in time in chapter 9 is in a dark place. They've actually turned their backs upon God and they've gone their own way. They've done their own thing. Despite all the blessings, despite all of God's love being continually showed to them and showered upon them, they're now following their own agenda and Israel's writing their own story without God. We'll do it alone, thanks very much God. We'll go our own way. God is no longer central with Israel despite him rescuing and delivering them from Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. Israel is now giving themselves to other things in this world and building their life upon those things and not upon God who is central. What has Israel done? Israel has joined itself to the gods of greed, the gods of power, the gods of wealth, and with pride-filled hearts, they've run as fast as they can towards those things. Life is all about greed, life is all about power, life is all about wealth. And because of that, the nation of Israel at this time is rife. It's filled with injustice and inequality. It's in a very, very dark place. Israel is filled with disharmony and tension, which is now commonplace in the land of Israel because they've turned their backs upon the Lord, the one who's rescued them, the one who's delivered them. It's darkness and it's gloom. Look in verse 1 of the passage that Abby said before there and you'll see the word gloom there. It'll be up on the screen for us. And then go into verse 2 and you'll see it's the people who walked in darkness. This gloom and this darkness that Isaiah writes is actually characterises here the disharmony and the tension that Israel is under at this point in time. It's not peace, it's anything but peace. It's tension, it's disharmony, it's turning their backs upon God. God in his infinite wisdom as the sovereign creator of this world, as the sovereign creator of the universe, needs to discipline a rebellious Israel because they've turned their backs upon him, because they've wandered and strayed far away from the God who provides everything for them. As any good father would do, discipline is always in love. And it's because God loves Israel that he disciplines them. God actually judges Israel and he allows them to be invaded by a foreign army, the Assyrians who are right next door, to come in and to come and crush Israel at this particular time. God is using the Assyrian army now to come in to awaken Israel from its hopeless position of turning their back upon God. Where is Israel? At this particular time, Israel is in a dark place. They've walked away from God. And because of that, there is no true and lasting peace in that nation in that time. Now, 2,700 years later, we find ourselves here, 132 Wellsford Street, Shepparton. But really, we're no different to Israel back then. The world hasn't changed. Uh, we too live in a world that suffers from disharmony and suffers from tension. We see it large scale, big time, as we see the wars that are happening around this world. Ukraine and Russia have sort of gone a bit quiet at the moment, but still happening majorly over there. Uh, Israel and Hamas control Palestine as well. That's large scale uh, disharmony and tension. Russia, ruled by an evil regime, 
is bent on invading Ukraine and crushing that sovereign country and overpowering them to just annex it for themselves. It's just pure evil. And also the Hamas terrorists, we know from October the 7th, openly say that they hate Israel. And for all intents and purposes, their goal in life is to rid the earth of all Jews. Disharmony, tension. What is that? It's pure evil and it's hatred. And we see it large scale there with even the wars that are broke around this world. In those nations, what do they have? They have widespread disharmony, widespread fearful tension. And it's fueled by jealousy, it's fueled by anger, it's fueled by disregard and hatred towards other people. There is no peace in those nations. Now that's large scale for sort of a breakdown of peace and harmony. But we also have disharmony and tension right in our own backyards. We're not immune from it even in the small scale of things. It's our on-the-ground relationships that suffer from this same tension, from this same breakdown. Actually, Christmas, as much as it's a time of joy and celebration, can also be the loneliest time of the year for a good number of people. Because of family breakdown, because of relationship tension, people are isolated and people are cut off from each other. People come into Christmas Day feeling very, very alone. And actually not even Christmas Day can overcome these tensions here of relationship breakdown and uh, family tensions. Tense feelings of jealousy and anger can spill over very quickly into hatred, giving way to spiteful words and even punch-ups on Christmas Day. Now, I've been fortunate to have a blessed family that I grew up in and a family now with my wife and four children. We don't have any tension on Christmas Day. Well, might be a bit of argument about who got the biggest piece of pudding, maybe, but that's about the only tension we have on Christmas Day. But we don't have punch-ups, but I've heard of plenty where actually that's happened. um, Tensions have been brought into Christmas Day and actually it's ended in an argument and then a fight and then a punch-up, even on Christmas Day when it's meant to be the most peaceful day of the year. At another level, we can feel this disharmony and tension of this world as well. Not so much through relationship breakdown, but in the suffering effects of a world, a broken world that we live in. Whether it's death and sickness that comes suddenly and unexpectedly, I just didn't plan to get this sickness at this time. It's totally um, ruined my day or ruined my week or ruined my month or ruined my year. Or I didn't plan for my husband to die so quickly. Or it's dreams and plans of life that are derailed and crushed through the adverse circumstances of life. It's that failed business or it's that job loss that's totally upset the agenda and it's really upset any peace that I had in my life at this particular time. We can experience that just in the broken world we live in through adverse circumstances as well. And all of these unplanned disruptions disturb what peace we may have had in this world. And what we discover when we think about that, when we think about either large-scale countries at war with each other or smaller scale in our own backyard, break in our own lives, we quickly discover this, that the peace in this world is like trying to grasp a pile of sand and pick it up and you just feel it slipping through your fingers because you can't hang on to that sand. 
That is what like the peace is like in this world. It doesn't last. It slips through our fingers and it evaporates. Now, for those of you who are a little bit older, a bit like myself maybe, how many peace talks have been held between Israel and Palestine over the decades? How many times have they tried to get together and have peace talks? And how long does it last? Sometimes it only lasts days. At best, you might get a few years. You go do a Google search on peace talks between Israel and Palestine and you'll see it has been attempted numerous times. It's an indication of the world that just cannot get lasting peace. Why is that? We are a people just like Israel who have cut ourselves off from God. We're sailing on our own course, our own pathway through this ocean of brokenness called the world. I'm going to do it my way, we say. We've sinned against God and we've made up our own rules to suit ourselves. It's all about me. You need to make peace with me. What's the result of all that? Well, we are a world marked by tension. We are a world marked by disharmony at every level and at all degrees. Large scale, small scale. Every one of us sitting in this room are not immune to this. We know that tension, we know that disharmony, either small or large. Well, that's Israel and that's us. But God speaks a word into this broken world and into broken lives, every single one of us. And as much as God speaks a word of judgment to Israel for rebelling against him at this particular time, we also know this. That this word of judgment, God's judgment, isn't and doesn't have to be the last word we hear from the Lord. He doesn't just leave it as discipline or judgment. He's got another word to speak to us as well. And what this other word is, it's a word of grace. It's a word of love that leads to peace. Look at what the Lord says to Israel in these verses. Verse 2, he says this. The people who walked in darkness, is that word darkness, we spoke about that before. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that's the experience Israel had of walking away from the Lord, on them light has shone. Something's breaking forth here, something's breaking out. God's initiating something here for the land of Israel. Yes, the darkness is real. No one's running away from that, no one's denying that. We know the tension's there. We know the lack of peace is there. But there's a great light coming. It's a light that will break through this darkness. It's a light that will dispel the darkness. This is God's word now being spoken to Israel and us if we care to hear it today. He goes on to verse 3 and he says this, You have multiplied the nation. This is now the joy of Israel and the joy of God's people. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. At this particular time, Israel is shrinking. They're being decimated. But God's saying, no, we are going to multiply the nation. You will grow, you will flourish, you will prosper. You will increase with joy at this light that is coming. This is what God is saying here with this light, this kingdom of peace. 
It's like the gladness here of a bumper harvest when a farmer reaps his crops. When he goes out with a head and he starts pulling all that grain and he says, I'm getting a record crop. His heart fills with gladness. His heart thinks there are great days ahead for us here. Well, this is what the Lord is saying to the nation of Israel or God's people in the midst of disharmony and the midst of tension. A great light is coming and this light is going to bring joy and this light is going to be peaceful. Now, verses 4 and 5, we won't bring them up, but you might be thinking, what about verses 4 and 5? They may not necessarily directly apply to us today, but for some it will in verses 4 and 5. There are evil forces causing mayhem and destruction out there, and God will bring justice to all those. Not one person will escape what they've done in this world. God's peace will be filled with justice, and every wrong will be made right. Let's summarise here God's peace that he's talking about to the land of Israel and for those who care to take it to their heart today. It's this. It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom marked by light and by joy. It's like the joy and gladness we feel on those first few spring days late in September when the, winter, when the winter cold is gone and the sun bursts out for the very first time, you just think, spring is here. It doesn't take the bills away though, does it? Spring is here though. It's like the warmth of those first few days. How will God send this peace? He's told us all about it in these preceding verses. How will this peace be made available for us? How can I receive this peace? How could I possibly receive this peace when I know I've actually rebelled against the Lord? How could I possibly earn or gain or get this peace? Well, I can tell you, in in Israel's perspective, in chapter 9, they're thinking peace was going to come through perhaps some sort of conquering general. They're being invaded by the Assyrian army at this time. They think, I know how we'll get peace. Some conquering general will come and he will actually lead this army and he will decimate the Assyrians and then we'll have peace. That's what they were probably thinking as they thought about this. God's got another plan. God's plans are always greater than our plans. It's a plan of God's that actually will confound the world. Here's God's plan. Have a look at verse 6 of Isaiah, and we'll put up on the screen for you as well. Here's what he says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Is that the plan? How's that going to get rid of the Assyrians? A child is going to bring peace? A a child is going to remove this foreign... A child is going to sort of fix all this conflict up and all this tension up? Surely a tiny baby isn't the peace plan. Well, that is, unless you know who this baby is, who this baby will become. Because this is no ordinary baby. This is just not another run-of-the-mill baby, and there are no run-of-the-mill babies. They're all cute. They're all cute, okay? But this is, this is something different, very different. God tells us something about this baby. Verse 6, and we follow that through. This baby will grow up. This baby will become a king who will carry all authority upon his shoulders. The government shall rest upon him. He will hold all authority in this kingdom of light and this kingdom of peace. 
We're told names about this child, this son, to be born. A son is given to us. And the first one there is Wonderful Counselor. This is no ordinary son. This is a son who will be marked by wisdom not heard of in this world. This son will know what to do, how to do it, every time without fail. This son will be the fountain of all wisdom. He will be the wonderful counsellor who will bring this kingdom in of light and of peace. He's given another name. He's also called Everlasting Father. What does that mean? It means this son will have the heart of a glorious, loving father. It means this son will have a heart here, a father's heart, prepared to love and care for his children no matter what it takes, no matter what the sacrifice might be. This son who will carry the government upon his shoulders and hold all authorities, a wonderful counsellor, he will have the heart of a loving father to rule this kingdom that way. He's also called the mighty God. This son that God promises will be none other than the son of God. This son will be the word of God who becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. God's putting the pieces of the puzzle together for us now. We can see that. Who this glorious son is. It will be God himself in this son. He has another name. He's the Prince of Peace. This son will be our peace. This son brings peace. This son will be known for his peace. This is the son that we are longing for, for that peace that surpasses all understanding. This is no ordinary son that God is telling the prophet Isaiah there is one coming. Someone very different. And go into verse 7, we see there about his kingdom. And it says there, this kingdom of peace will have no end. It won't be just a flash in the pan. It won't be like peace talks between Israel and Palestine that might last a few days or weeks or months or years. It'll have no end. We can't comprehend that in our minds. We live time bound. This peace will have no end. There'll be no coups that can topple this Prince of Peace. There'll be no uprisings within this kingdom that can take this Prince of Peace out and establish another rule. This kingdom of peace will have no end. This throne will never be upset. This peace will rule forever and forever and forever. Now you might say, well, who is this peace child? Who is this son that is given? Who is this son who's going to be born? Well, this is why we come around this time of Christmas season to, to discover afresh who the son is. And from Isaiah's point in time, we need to travel 700 years into the future and we see the birth of a son through the Virgin Mary to have this fulfilled for us. This is God telling Israel, something is coming. A son is born. A child is coming. They had to wait 700 years for this to happen. Just imagine trying to tell your kids to wait for their presents on Christmas Day. There's not much patience there sometimes, is there? 
Israel's going to wait 700 years. Well, we go forward 700 years, and Abby, uh, uh, Caleb read for us there early on about this birth of the Virgin Mary. And in Luke 2, 13 and 14, we see here this, as it were, proclamation of the angels as they come, these heavenly beings, to announce this birth. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, we see this. And suddenly there is an angel, or with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace among, with those, among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. This is the peace child. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, fully God and fully man. What God promised in Isaiah chapter 9 is now coming to fruition here in Luke chapter 2, 700 years later. How does Jesus do this? He first reconciles us with God. Because of our rebellion before God, we are enemies to God, but Jesus now reconciles us and brings us back to God, and he does this by eventually dying on the cross to pay the price of our sins, so that we can now be at peace with God and know that glorious relationship with him. What has Jesus done? Jesus has taken God's judgment upon himself so that now we can be at peace. And now as we put our trust in who Jesus is for our salvation and our peace with God, he also empowers us to live uh, live at peace in this broken world as well. Firstly, peace with each other. We can get together on Christmas Day. We actually can have a great time. We don't have to be jealous. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be hateful towards others. Jesus sets me free with a new heart now to love and to build up in peace not to tear down and take away. I don't have to win the argument on Christmas Day. Actually, I don't even have to have the argument on Christmas Day. Why? Because I'm at peace with the Lord and my life is hid with Christ in him. I don't have to have tension with anybody. They may want to have tension with me, but I do not have to have tension with them. God has set me free from that through what Jesus has done. Jesus also helps us to cope with the unrest of the broken dreams and the broken plans of this world as well. Why? Because Jesus delivers us a hope for a better world to come. Stuff will still happen. Sickness will still come. Jobs will still be lost. Things will go wrong that will cause unrest. But when Christ is the centre of my life, that's the peace that does surpass all understanding and carries me through those broken times. It might just take a little bit of wind out of my sails. It might take a lot of wind out of my sails. And I might even get knocked over. But the peace that Christ gives enables me to stand again, to know my hope ultimately is not in this world, but in the world to come. That's a peace that nobody and nothing can take away. You see... Here's why Jesus being at peace is really good news. Really good news. The best news you'll ever hear. Jesus is the only person who can help us make sense of of the brokenness of this world. You can go to the wisest psychologists or counsellors or whatever you want and they'll give you some wise wisdom. But unless you truly come to Christ, he's the only one who can make sense of the brokenness of this world. Jesus reveals to us why we don't have peace in this world. 
And here's what else he reveals to us. He accurately tells us that the first problem in our lives is not the person over there or over there. It's the person inside here. It's my heart. Jesus reveals that to me. And we need to know that. Because when we start at the right foundation of where, where it's wrong, we can then begin to move out and find healing through Jesus. Because not only does he tell me that, he also accurately diagnoses us so that he can heal us as well and give us a new heart internally, a new way of living that only Jesus can do. Jesus reconciles us back to God. He heals us truly. Jesus only can do that. No other thing or person or whatever in this world can do that. Only Christ alone. This is true Christmas peace. Discovering the son who's been given to us. The son who's been born. This is the peace that does truly surpass all understanding. People will look at other believers sometimes and think, how can you be peaceful in the midst of all this brokenness in your life? How can you carry on when there's so much pain and trauma and grief? How can you be peaceful? Because Christ steadies my life. Christ is the rock that I stand on. Christ is the peace that carries me through. This is why we celebrate Christmas Day with joy. We say, look at what God has done. Not what I've done, but look at what God has done for me. Jesus, the Son of God, our peace child, was born. He came to bring in his kingdom of peace. This Christmas, we have the opportunity to know and experience this peace for ourselves. It's there. It's there for us. It's there for us in Christ and who he is and what he's done. Let me ask you this question. Where have you been looking for peace yourself? Where have you been looking for peace? Has it been the next book you've found on wisdom somewhere? Some podcast? Yeah, I'll find peace in this podcast. Has it been that? Where have you been looking for peace? And when you've really got down to it, did you find true peace? Did it really, really hit you where you needed it and you found true peace? Or did it just maybe just evaporate a few days or a week or so later? Jesus is the peace that we all need. Jesus is the true peace that comes at Christmas. That peace first reconciles us back to God and that peace enables us to, as it were, walk through this world confident in him. When stuff happens, I've got this peace. This peace comes through a son born on Christmas Day to be our glorious saviour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and we can spend this time in Isaiah chapter 9 and just see what you have done for the nation of Israel. Not only for the nation of Israel, but for us today, Lord. Israel were looking forward to when this peace child would come, when the son would be born, not knowing when this would take place. 700 years later, Jesus came. Here we are today, Lord, 2023. We can look back 2,023 years ago and acknowledge what you have done. Look what God has done for us.
He sent his one and only son to be our peace child. To be our peace. Father, today I pray, let your spirit work through that word. To let your spirit work in hearts today. People that have been looking for peace all over the place. But they can't find it. God, we pray, please open their eyes up today to see that Jesus is the peace that they desperately need. And he says to them today, come, come, come and receive that peace. Heavenly Father, we ask that, we pray that now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.